Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm Oliver Banks, your host and delighted to be your guide here to support you and encourage you and show you the way to successful retail transformation. Thank you so much for tuning in. This one is episode 165. Now we are coming, of course, to the close of the year. And at this time of year, I always do a look back at what the retail industry has been through over the past 12 months. But for this retail review of the year, we're going to have a bit more of a transformation spin, looking at some of the innovations, looking at some of the big changes that have come about and thinking about what that is telling us and showing us about the future as well. But of course, these changes, these transformations have been against a backdrop of, well, I'm sure you remember some of the big things that have happened in 2021. Broadly, the turbulence has continued. Around the globe, we've all been going in and out of different lockdowns. We had the invasion of the capital in Washington, D.C. Do you remember the ever-given container ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal and the chaos that caused to the global supply chain? We've had the COVID pandemic, where different teams are getting notified about a potential COVID exposure and having to isolate. And that has really affected in-store teams as well as warehouse teams as well. We had a global port in China being half shut down due to that COVID pandemic, a COVID outbreak. And all of these things have caused plenty of issues, as I'm sure you know all too well, with supply and availability on all sorts of products, from building materials affecting the construction trade as well as the home improvement sector, through to food and grocery items. But we have just about made it through the year. But like I say, let's look at some of the more transformational changes that we have been through over the course of the last 12 months. Show notes for today's episode are going to be at obandco.uk slash 165. So do make sure you head over there to get a little refresher, a little reminder of some of the big headlines. And there will be more over there than we are talking about on the podcast today. So do make sure you check it out. obandco.uk slash 165. And I should point out, if you do enjoy staying in touch with the global news of retail transformation, then you should absolutely sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, my weekly email newsletter, which covers off key insights and intel from the ever-changing world of retail. And in particular, key headlines like this, which really do help you to understand exactly the trends and the shifts as they happen. You can sign up absolutely for free. It's bonkers, really. <laughs> sign up for free, though, at obandco.uk slash 165. So we kick off, of course, in January, as we do every year. And we will start with Amazon, who, by the way, have been perhaps the most transformative, the most innovative retailer of the past 12 months. And the reason is they have continued to try new initiatives. 
Frankly, I think we could have done a retail review of the year just around Amazon. There is so much going on. But in January, they announced they were expanding their palm reading service called Amazon One, where this is the ability that you can pay by waving your hand over a sensor. And they were expanding this to more of their Amazon Go stores. And since then, they've expanded it to their Whole Foods stores. And the expansion will continue from there as they look to license out that technology to other retailers. Little like they are doing with their Just Walk Out technology as well to enable other retailers to have checkout free stores or to have a pay by palm payment service. But also back in January, I first discovered a German startup called Gorillas who were looking to shake up fast grocery deliveries using dark convenience stores to deliver within 10 minutes. And this sounded so space age back in January, just this year, 10 minutes. I mean, incredible. But fast forward 12 months nearly, and that 10 minute delivery has become pretty commonplace in large cities like London. And this whole quick commerce drive is really continuing to expand across the world with new cities coming on board and many, many, many new startups. So again, this whole 10 minute delivery or super quick delivery was absolutely a key theme for 2021. Loads of different startups have got involved with some big partnerships. Gorillas later in the year from being a relatively unknown company in January would be partnering with the likes of Tesco. Incredible really when you think about it like that. And we've also started to see some consolidation through the year. Either these startups being bought by larger companies or actually buying each other as well. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of funding and more startups to come as we look to the future of course. Let's move on to February, where the story that really stuck out for me was fantastic. It's so beautifully simple. IKEA created a series of disassembly instructions as a commitment to sustainability. These disassembly instructions are there to help customers take apart their flat pack furniture, whether it's to help move or whether it's to help recycle or whether it's to help resell furniture. I think this is a really innovative change. Like I say, it's not that complicated. It's the instructions in reverse, right? But what it does is it says to customers that IKEA do care about sustainability and they do care about the full customer life cycle. And as consumers become increasingly environmentally aware and concerned even, actions like this are going to be really powerful. So I do encourage you to think what are the simple actions that you could take to drive sustainability, to drive elements like the circular economy? And when thinking about this, I've got a lesson from Adam Hall, the head of sustainability at the Internet Fusion Group, who was on the virtual stage at Retail Transformation Live 3, which of course happened earlier in the year, in the summer 2021. And one of Adam's core beliefs is that if you are investing too heavily into sustainability, actually, maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Maybe that is actually just greenwashing because there are some incredible sustainable initiatives that you can take, like this example from IKEA, that are not necessarily all that complicated. Let's move on to March, and we've got a bit more of a technology-driven transformation here. Gucci 
launched a pair of virtual shoes, which you can only see or wear in augmented reality. Although you do have to buy them, but you can also take your fancy new footwear into the virtual world of Roblox and also VR chat. Now this was a really interesting move before the term metaverse came all fashionable. And actually Gucci have been one of the driving forces, I would say, of the entire metaverse movement. And they continue to push the boundary in lots of different ways. So do check that out. And I think this virtual product movement is, again, a fascinating area. We've had digital clothes for a few years now, but they are becoming increasingly more present. And actually, you can start to take them, as Gucci have done, into different digital worlds, different elements of the metaverse, right? Definitely an area to watch going forward. Into April, and one of the stories, again, that stood out for me here is another sustainability initiative. Nike refurbished. This is one of the sports brand's circular economy initiatives or propositions. You can return a pair of shoes and Nike will grade them. They'll refurbish them and put them back on sale to offer great value and minimize the environmental impact. And again, Nike have really thought about this whole circular economy and actually even down to their Nike grind proposition where they are grinding up the rubber soles of shoes that can't be refurbished that can't be put back on sale and these ground up rubber shoes are going in to make things like tennis courts or sports pitches it's really fascinating into May and we've got a slightly quirky story that stood out to me in May the world famous Selfridges in London was granted a wedding license to allow couples to get married to tie the knot in the department store. Now, I think this is really interesting because it's not naturally something you would get straight from a department store, a, a wedding. <laughs> They're focused actually on a number of real life experiences. So in the recent past, they've looked at floristry workshops. They've looked at pampering sessions, children's parties in the toy department, of course. And also, not an ideal time in hindsight, of course, but at the end of 2019, they even opened a cinema in their store as well. So it's going to be interesting to see the next move that Selfridges make, particularly with new owners, as well as the moves that other department stores take from Selfridges' lead. Will the department store be the next big wedding venue? Who knows, right? But that would be a very interesting shop floor repurposing initiative to take on to a store estate. In June, we had a big acquisition. And again, acquisitions have been happening left, right and centre, it's felt, over the past 12 months. But perhaps the biggest acquisition of the year, in my view, was Etsy acquiring Depop as it looks to attract more Gen Z customers, as well as get into that resale market that is growing so much. We've seen lots of different resale initiatives over the last 12 months, including lots of retailers and brands partnering with different resale platforms. And if you are not doing that just yet, then again, that would be hugely worthwhile to think, what is your circular economy? What do customers do with the clothes that are still valuable they still have life in them, but they are unwanted, but used. And actually, how can the resale market fit into your retail estate, whether that is physical stores, whether that is e-commerce or other digital shopping platforms? 
and into July, and we've got another circular economy initiative. There is a strong theme here, right? If you are not getting that. <laughs> but in July, we had appliance retailer AO.com open up a rework warehouse to handle returns and to handle faulty products and rework them, repair them, and then sell them through an outlet website or other channel. Now, this is brilliant because it minimizes waste. You probably recall stories and images of fridge mountains and other unwanted, broken or old appliances in tips and junkyards. But by minimising the waste, AO again are driving sustainability and really making sure that every ounce of energy that is put in to a particular appliance, every gram of material is used wisely and made sure that it gets its full lifespan. Personally, there's nothing more frustrating than having something that only has a small defect, but that ruins the entire product. So I think this is a fantastic initiative by AO. And that's why I chose them as a key story from July. Now, a quick reminder once again, if you want to keep track of all these stories and more, then do head over to the show notes page today at obandco.uk slash 165. And sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing whilst you are there. You will not regret it, I promise. Now, in August, a really peculiar story came to light. Hudson's Bay announced that it was going to split up their e-commerce and their store operations into separate business divisions. Now, this is really fascinating because, really, it defies the usual approach of combining e-com and store ops. It defies the usual approach of trying to remove silos between channels. And it defies a lot of the recommendations and a lot of the chatter that you hear around the world of retail. And what's even more interesting is that Hudson's Bay are not alone in this. There have been other rumours for other retailers since that are also looking to divorce their e-commerce and store operations. Now, for me, if you are trying to build an omnichannel business, I think this is a bit of an unusual move. I have to be honest, I still don't entirely see the logic, especially if they're going to be run by different companies, which I know some companies are rumoured to be doing something like that, by actually dividing the company formally. But at the very same time, if it does allow each individual channel to excel more by themselves, then maybe it is a good thing. It will take a couple of years for a divorce to go through, so to speak. But I think it is going to be very, very interesting to see what does happen next. Is this going to be a slightly illogical but positive move for companies like Hudson's Bay? What do you think? Let me know, of course. And then in September, we're zooming over to China where JD.com opened up their new JD Mall. It's a big mall. It features 11 different experience zones and a number of different product interaction zones. Now, these are things like a beauty salon or an audio experience area or somewhere to do drone testing or a massage parlor. All experiences or services that you can't get online, let's be honest, and all very important. You know, an audio experience area. You just can't choose good quality audio from the Internet, right? <laughs> You can't experience it. There is just no possible way that you could experience speakers from another set of speakers. So I think this is a, a fantastic use of this big unit. It's five stories. It's massive. But then they've done a fantastic job 
of not only thinking about what are these different aspects that you can't do online that customers will have to come into store to do or see or experience. But they've also thought about the whole customer journey. So from the store, you can't actually walk out with a bag of shopping. You purchase by scanning QR codes and buying online via your mobile device, of course, and products will be delivered home. And I do wonder whether this will begin to form a real global movement for big department stores in particular, but many other stores as well, where you get to go in and see and feel and touch and experience the different products really understand them and then the fulfillment happens separately. Also in September, Etsy opened a Google Street View style virtual house, which was a digital showroom to help customers find and discover a whole selection of curated products, of course, from their marketplace. And that move actually inspired one of the previous podcast episodes, episode 155, called Reinventing Digital Shopping. So do take a listen to that episode. Then in October, the UK's largest supermarket, Tesco, made a couple of major plays. Firstly, it opened its first fully automated checkout-free grocery store called GetGo. This is powered by a partner, Trigo Technology, and they've been trialing this technology in their store at head office for some time, but by moving into central London, this was a major play. Now, by October, Amazon Fresh was already well underway in London. And of course, in America, a number of stores are already live with the Amazon Go style technology. With their GetGo store, Tesco made a couple of big statements. Number one, they see a bright future in the convenience market and will be investing heavily there. And number two, they continue to see technology as a way to differentiate themselves, a way to stand out, a way to innovatively lead in the market. This technology will have been in partnership with Trigo for a long time and they've managed to crack it. And I think it's interesting, this location of the get-go store is now right opposite an Amazon Fresh, so they are going head-to-head. And Sainsbury's have also announced the store again, only a stone's throw away from this location in London which is also powered, interestingly, by Amazon's Just Walk Out technology. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that local market develops and how customers there normalise to this checkout-free technology. And there have been many other examples of checkout-free stores. In fact, we've seen them all over the world through a number of different initiatives, whether it's licensing, like Sainsbury's have done, mostly from Amazon, to be fair, or whether it's partnering with companies like Trigo, like Audi have done, like Tesco have done, and many others as well. And there are some lightweight checkout-free technologies out there as well, things like JISP, which is just fantastic. So this whole checkout-free movement is only going to continue in that convenience sector and probably more broadly as well. The second big development that Tesco did in October was offering customers a 10-minute delivery proposition. Now, earlier in the year, they had trialed Woosh, their one-hour delivery proposition, but they then announced they were partnering with Gorillas, the rapid delivery startup company that, of course, we mentioned earlier on in the show. And so Gorillas are setting up micro-fulfillment centres in a selection of Tesco's larger stores. And I do wonder just how long it's going to be until someone does buy up Gorillas because Gorillas have gone on and made a number of great partnerships with Tesco and other companies as well, as I mentioned earlier. 
And that whole quick commerce market is a land grab right at the moment. Of course, big questions remain over profitability, as they still do with grocery e-commerce, for that matter, by the way. <laughs> but doing it in 10 minutes must be better, right? But I think this whole 10-minute delivery proposition, I hinted at it earlier, is going to be a very interesting area to watch. And in particular, it raises important questions, fundamental questions about profitability and commercial feasibility, as well as convenience. And what is it that customers actually want? Sure, there are instances where we want a 10-minute delivery, but is it for everyone? Will it remain a niche? Is it going to force us to become too lazy and too last minute with our shopping? This could drive whole customer behaviour, so it will be, again, fascinating to see. In November, Macy's get my vote as the really key transformational story. For their Thanksgiving Day Parade, they opened up a special NFT market. NFT being non-fungible token, a one-of-a-kind image. And this NFT auction was in partnership with the charity Make-A-Wish. But it really captured the imagination and it interestingly puts Macy's Again, back on the innovative front foot, which I, I love personally. So they had some very unique NFTs, with one in particular reaching $300,000, as well as a much more accessibly priced market as well. So well done to Macy's for continuing to transform and diving into that NFT market. And there have actually since been a number of different retailers that are expanding into the world of NFT. So again, another key development area to watch for the retail market. And then finally, in December, the story that caught my eye is not something that has happened, but something that will happen, perhaps. <laughs> A leaked strategy document from Meta, formerly Facebook Group, suggests that they are really going to zoom in on the shopping market, on the commerce market. They are developing a plethora of apps and of services that are wanting to drive that company to be a primary destination for commerce. Now, over the past 12 months, we've seen real developments in Instagram shops, in Facebook shops, and even in WhatsApp shops as well. And I think we'll continue to see more commercial developments going on in all of these, whether that be more about shoppable posts, whether that be driving the influencer market, whether that be getting into live streams. We know customers love social media and they spend huge amounts of time on social media, arguably time that they used to spend meeting up with friends and going to shops, going to the mall. So it's a fairly natural move in many ways that these social media tools do become more commercial focused, do become more shopping focused. And of course, as Meta develops the whole Metaverse concept, right, which was part of that whole rebrand, it's going to be fascinating to see what other sort of virtual reality shops or digital clothing shops, you know, we talked about Gucci earlier on, develop it's it's a market that is ripe for massive growth and the big question to me is will that metaverse market remain quite niche perhaps focused around gamers or will it explode to the mass market you know the big wide mass market i mean obviously gamers is a pretty big niche <laughs> particularly now and of course there is the big question over what is the next big social media tool and whether there is a company that will topple Meta or whether they'll be acquired by Meta. But social commerce, 
is going to come a super hot area. So if you are not thinking about social commerce right now, then that is a big opportunity for you. And that brings us right bang up to date. But I would love to hear from you. Reach out via email. I'm at oliver.banks at obandco.uk or message me on LinkedIn. And what I would love to hear from you is what was your biggest retail transformation story from the past 12 months? Was it one of the stories we featured today or perhaps something else? Do let me know. It would be amazing to hear from you, as it always is, by the way. And do also head over to the show notes where you can find those contact details, as well as a number of other stories that happened this year. Again, there's been so much going on despite the turbulence, despite the volatility in global supply chains and COVID and all of the other chaos that's seemingly been going on this year. But there have been many areas of innovation. So do head over to obandco.uk slash 165 and check them out and do sign up for the retail transformation briefing whilst you are there. Also on that show notes page, I'm going to put some episodes for extra listening. So if you'd like to check out some other episodes, here are three suggestions for you. Firstly, check out the episode I mentioned earlier, episode 155 called Reinventing Digital Shopping, inspired by one of the headlines, the Etsy house. Next, check out episode 144, number 144, where I spoke with the enigmatic Doug Stevens about resurrecting retail after the pandemic. A brilliant conversation there. And then finally, we've spoken about the metaverse a few times today, so I will also point you towards episode 128 called AR, VR and Retail in the Metaverse, where I spoke with leading metaverse expert Kathy Hackle about some of the key changes that are coming in that area. So check out those three episodes on the show notes. Once again, obandco.uk slash 165. And I'd just like to say thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to joining you in another episode very, very soon. Bye for now.